0: vegan pod in today's episode we're talking veganism and gender and exploring the reasons behind the gender imbalance in veganism in the uk women are around twice as likely as men to be vegan but why is this It seems that a key barrier that men face to going vegan is the expectation of social stigma or ridicule from friends, peers or family. Meat eating has become a core aspect of how masculinity is performed. And by refusing to eat meat or other animal products, a man could be perceived as breaking gender expectations, inviting hostility from those who place importance on gender roles. Not only this, but misinformation relating to nutrition, specifically that a vegan diet lacks protein or that soy negatively impacts male bodies, is a further barrier, putting more men off going vegan. So to help us dig a little deeper into these issues and explore how men can overcome these barriers, we're joined by two brilliant guests. We're welcoming back author, academic and spokesperson for Animal Rising, Dr Alex Lockwood. Thank you for coming back, Alex, for another episode. It's a joy to have you here. And joining us alongside Alex is Dr. Catherine Oliver, a geographer, writer and lecturer in the sociology of climate change, who researches veganism, animals and the environment. Welcome both. Really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the subject. So let's just start by, uh, as we always like to, talking about your own journey into veganism and how that kind of intersects with your work. So let's start with you, Catherine. Tell us about how and when you became vegan and how that intersects with your work.
1: So I became vegan 10 years ago this month, actually. So I just had my 10-year vegan anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, and became, thank you. <laughs> I became vegan after watching the documentary Earthlings. Uh, and unlike like lots of people transition to veganism slowly, I was vegetarian anyway. I've always been vegetarian. Um, I was brought up vegetarian. Uh, and I just overnight, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not eating, you know, dairy and cheese anymore. I'm I'm done. And since that, that, it, that kind of... Convert into veganism actually then set me on a path to pursuing a career in uh, academia and universities and pursuing my PhD. So my PhD was on veganism in Britain, the history uh, and contemporary moment and the future of veganism in Britain. And so, so it was actually my veganism that presupposed, I suppose, my career in academia so i researched veganism for the last uh, maybe 8 years uh, i've also researched chickens specifically rescue chickens and i'm currently researching kind of uh, climate change in animals and um specifically the extinction of, of seabirds where i live in Morecambe bay and uh, i guess veganism shapes everything i do in that it's for the animals even if it's not about Uh, veganism specifically like when I'm researching chickens or climate change it's always kind of that thread through
0: thank you very much Um, it's great to hear that you were brought up vegetarian I feel like there is much more likely my children were brought up vegetarian Uh, you know I feel like it's much more likely to be a sort of generation of people who are you know like yourself old enough to be a noteworthy academic and yet having always been vegetarian whereas when I was a kid you know It was uh, if I wanted Well, when I wanted to be vegetarian as a kid, it just meant I had pasta with grated cheese on it or brown rice on its own, which was something I ate quite a lot. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's not it's nice to hear um, this sort of swathe of uh, people who've been lifelong vegetarians. And Alex, tell us about uh, your veganism. I think um, obviously we've we've heard it before for for fans of the pod. They'll have heard it before. But give us a little recap and uh, and tell us how that that dovetails into your work.
2: Sure. Yeah. No, I wasn't lucky enough to be brought up vegetarian. So I, you know, had very typical, uh, uh, very typical, very bad diet as a child. I remember actually, you know, like we were very working class. Um, and so, you know, I remember Saturday lunch times being very much, you had a choice between, you know, Tesco value sausages or Sainsbury's value burgers with chips and beans, you know. But I, I went vegetarian first when I was about 15. Uh, in response to saw animal, I remember reading an article about whales, whale hunting. And I just was like, that's not right, is it? So, I, um, you know, there was nothing else I could do other than just, you know, think where what other animals were being sort of, you know, harmed. But fast forward like a long time, you know, I went back and forth between vegetarian and meat eating. And actually then went veggie uh, vegetarian in my sort of maybe late 20s. And then veganism, actually, in terms of the subject matter of what we're talking about today, it was a bit of a conflation of environmental and health and animal issues. But very much the the, the very much the story that I remember is actually I I got I joined a running club, and actually um, a lot of and then I got into running quite a lot, and so I pick started picking up a lot of um, ultra marathon runner books. So Scott. Durek, Rich Roll, Brendan Brazier, who started the Vega brand in um Canada. And they were all plant based. And they didn't call it vegan at all. They wouldn't touch the word, but they were, you know, they were plant-based. Um, and talking about the health benefits and the and the benefits really for their sport and for being, you know, like at the top of their game, really. So there's quite a long, quite a sort of sense of gender and sort of masculine performance in it. And I, and I was sucked into that. I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. At the same time I was actually adopting my my cat. And uh, also I was working in climate change at the time and recognising sort of the impacts, you know. So this was all about maybe 16 years ago. And I don't have a firm date, 16, 17 years ago. And it, the, 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 those issues all came together. But I remember the, I remember my first vegan shop and I was like, oh, that wasn't too hard. And that was like 16 years ago, actually. So it wasn't, you know, even, even back then, you know, it wasn't too difficult to think, oh, I'm, I can eat a little bit healthier, actually, you know, with this diet.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. So, in a in a way, your your entry into veganism is almost the converse of what we're talking about today, which is you know that the potentially the masculine uh, or the non masculine element would put men off, or the fact that they think they wouldn't be able to perform as well. And you actually went towards it because you were looking for more of that. So it's kind of like converse to what what we what we believe or what we worry or think might be might be putting men off. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, let's talk a lot about that we've touched on some of the reasons why men are less likely to go vegan than women in the introduction but let's let's just dig a little bit deeper into that there's this strong narrative about what it means to be a real man and typically that means avoiding traits like empathy and compassion which could be seen as feminine if I were going to say you know as a non-academic why do I think more women are vegan than men or less men are vegan than women I'd probably say it's because I think women are generally more compassionate I also think we're a bit more open to change maybe and maybe we're open to sacrifice a bit more I don't know but Alex could you start by talking about those links between masculinity yeah I mean you know wh- where do you think where do you think this is coming from
2: yeah well um, you know we're in in my first book the pig in thin air. Uh, the it was very much about identifications and sociology. It was it was it was, a, it was actually a personal sort of road trip into veganism and activism and advocacy, but it was grounded in sort of like sociologies of the body and social and understanding that we're all a bundle of identifications, and we understand our our, our role in the world and our social group belonging and, and where we where we relate uh, and connect with others through all of these. Identifications, and they are things like you know I'm a I'm a brother, I'm a son, I'm a vegan, I'm a footballer. You know all of these things that wrap up to be this thing called identity, but it's a whole bundle of different identifications, and they're really important for us because they tell us where we uh, ground ourselves, how we relate to others, how we're seen, what our self image is, and they're very very strong. They're really strong, and when you try to undo some of these identifications, you try to unpick them. Then your your body reacts. Your actual body and your mind. You know it all reacts against it because you're actually thinking. Well, I'm unpicking here my social group relations, and they're the most important thing for us as social beings. So that's why it's really hard to undo some of the in, very ingrained gendered, raced, classed you know um, identities that we have because they tell us who we are in the world and sadly a lot of them have become very sort of dysfunctional very controlling very fixed very sort of unable to change i mean to be fair i actually think identity now is much more fluid than it was a generation or two generations ago as we said in the in the you know in the introductions about sort of, you know ge- you know generational shifts but essentially that's where it comes that's the that's the structure of it and the reason why men uh, are so associated I guess with meat eating and sort of like masculine um, you know what masculinity is is because it is a gendered identity identity construction about a a powerful role a dominant role a controlling role and actually therefore the dominance and control and and exploitation of others be it women or animals or any, any others you know in nature that becomes part of the identity and it becomes rewarded you know, it becomes rewarded because it becomes mm. reinforced through sort of like the social mirroring back to you of like, oh, he's a real man. He eats meat, kind of thing. And it's and I, and that's where it comes from. So I'll stop there because I know Catherine. Mm. Will have- it's oh,
0: it's so. uh, it's not a very nice it's not a very nice thought, is it? This idea that um uh, you know men, maleness, masculinity is rewarded for ex- exploitative sides. So Catherine, your work, Mock Meat, Masculinity and Redemption Narratives, explores men's uh, performances of gender and eating. Can you tell us a little bit more about this?
1: Yeah, so I guess uh, to to think about gender and eating when we when we think about food and obviously, as listeners will know, veganism isn't just about food, but often when we talk about veganism, we talk about food because it's so central to uh, our survival, to our social relationships. Um, yeah kind of what what we eat is wrapped up with all these identities that Alex is talking about and there's a kind of association between there's different associations I suppose between men and food and women and food and traditionally we think of men as meaty and women as more more vegetal uh, and men should consume high protein meat and animal diets and women should consume less and consume in particular ways and we see the relationships between men and food and women and food all over not just in veganism so when men cook they're chefs when women cook they're, they're cooks uh, that those kind of things there's different um yeah different um, amounts of prestige added to when women versus men eat Uh, and there's kind of more broadly there's a focus particularly at the the moment at the last I don't know decade or so on protein and the importance of a muscular body uh, and for men to have uh, you know this ideal body which is white, lean, muscular uh, and it's, it's not just associated with the rise of social media, but the rise of social media and influencers has definitely ramped up these expectations, I suppose, on men's performances of gender and eating to play into that, tradition. I guess, traditional role of men as, as Alex said, as kind of dominators, uh, as kind of um, dominating women and dom- dominating animals. Uh, and it's a gross oversimplification in some ways because mm. if we say, you know, if the assumption is men uh, try to avoid traits like compassion and empathy that does a disservice to, to men because obviously men are compassionate and empathetic but they're socially trained to hide those traits and so it's a it's a disservice to, to men uh, as much as this this kind of uh, masculine idea of masculinity uh, that then plays into violence against animals and violence against uh, women impact patriarchal societies and so on. So it's all connected, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. So
0: you've got this really interesting dichotomy where um, you've got this image of men being strong and lean and powerful. And, you know, traditionally that was associated with meat. But then you've got, you know, what you were talking about, Alex, when you started running, you're, you know, you're being drawn to all these, you know, high-performance athletes who happen to be plant-based or vegan. So that's a really positive thing. But then is that leaning into, even if, you know, it, it, it's it got a vegan slant, is it sort of leaning into still that narrative about men having to be strong and powerful, you know, is it okay to kind of flip it on its head with veganism or should we be trying to dispel that thing altogether? I mean, that's a very big question, I realise, but whoever wants to have a stab at it. It is.
2: No, it is. But I think it's a very simple answer, to be honest, because, yeah, there are there's eight and a half billion people on this planet, which means there's eight and a half billion individual genders, really. And we shouldn't be shoving them into like two massive boxes that don't fit anyone. Because, you know, like masculinity kills men, you know, like the stiff upper lip men mm-hmm. don't go for prostate tests when they should. You know, men um, don't share their emotions. They get bottled up and they come out and manifest in other ways. You know, like the the things that men have to hide and suppress are killing them. You know, and so it's, a, so it's a very easy answer to say we should absolutely be doing away with it. So the fact that I got sucked in to Rich Roll and Brendan Brazier and Scott Durek, you know, who are actually really lovely men. They're actually quite geeky. They're quite sort of like and they're not they're not all sort of like trying or in any way trying to be um, hyper masculine men at all. And they're actually quite good figures, actually, for trying to break that down, although it's not their it's not their priority at all. So for me, absolutely, I don't think it's okay at all that actually we should be sort of reinforcing these gendered sort of scripts and um, narratives within veganism. I think actually veganism is a really is a feminist act, you know, and is informed best by feminist or sort of practice. And men, as you know, feminist allies can do really good work in veganism. One of the the reason, and I just a quick story, but one the reason why I got interested in sort of men veganism was because when I did my book tour when I take, you know, took the book out, it would be 80% women in the room and the men in the room were there dragged by their partners and they looked terrified. They looked absolutely terrified <laughs> that they were going to be having, having a lecture about you're a bad person, you eat meat, etc. etc. And luckily by the end of it, because that wasn't what I did, you know, like, by the end of it, they'd they they, they they'd relaxed, they'd maybe listened a bit. And so a few of them even come up and was like, oh no, I know what you said, I really got that. And then the partner's like, I've been telling you that for 10 years. Why haven't you listened to me? And actually that was a really important, that's the other thing that is really problematic about this. Men listen to other men. They tend not to listen to women. So actually what you need is you need men coming out and actually say, look, it's not masculinity. is like really destructive. And I- Actually, this vegan practice is a way to put a wedge into that, like a big vegan wedge into it, to actually ask questions about why we need to follow any of these identity roles anyway that aren't good for us.
0: They were very wise words. I I want to say to you, Catherine, do you agree? But then you're probably, of course, you're going to agree because this seems incredibly wise.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with lots of it. I think lots of the people I interviewed during my research, uh, men often, not always, definitely not always, but often went vegan because their partner wanted to go vegan. Their, their woman partner usually wanted to go vegan and they started that way. They're like, oh yeah, you know, whatever. And then actually a lot of the people, a lot of the men I interviewed took that way further and they became more activist and more involved and more vocal. And so i suppose it's this process of normalization so if we are brought up and in a society where men aren't vegan and the veganism is associated with women and, and this kind of sentimental practice that is harmful for men it's not actually harmful but it can get them kind of homophobic abuse um, you know misogynist abuse that these kind, this kind of abuse um and discrimination i suppose then we need a process of normalization where men are vocally vegan but without that kind of hegemonic masculinity that ma- masculinity of men is dominant um, and I think it's really hard to do that when a lot of the places we see men or, or male vegans is you know on social media or in like sound bites so it's like what's a, what's the a process of normalization going to look like in our everyday lives and in our social lives and those much more lasting Relationship, so yeah, I do. We need to challenge and kind of push back against, you know, a vegan masculinity that is just masculinity without the meat that has all those (laughs) same (laughs) traits. We absolutely need to push back against that. But at the same time, there has to be some way to show it's not—it's not weird to be vegan. It's not emasculating. But we shouldn't be thinking of. It's—it's complicated. I know, but you know, I was going to
0: say it's it's very multi-stranded. This (laughs) isn't it very layered, and so. Bearing in mind, it is complicated. How do we address the balance? How do we get more men to become vegan? I mean, it's, it's, it's on a very basic level of of liking animals. I would say men like pets or companion animals as much as women do. I don't have the stats on that, but of all the people I know, you're as likely to see a man walking a dog as you are a woman walking a dog or having a cat or whatever. Men love animals, right? You know, there's no doubt about that. How? how do we what do we tap what do we need to tap into with men Uh, apart from the masculinity side maybe apart from health I mean that's complex because obviously we you know health is a good um, reason to become vegan it was definitely part of my decision to sort of make that step from vegetarianism but what do we do how do we get the men on board
1: (laughs) I think saying let's not talk about health is actually a a mistake because like both of you said that health thing drew you in initially and I think with or in in my opinion, I suppose, it's not about not talking about health because veganism is still thought of as unhealthy by lots of people or overly healthy. So it's more for me about how do we ensure that if someone's interested in veganism for their health initially, that we build pathways and connections that mean health. It doesn't stop with health. So lots and lots of people that that I've talked to uh, in my research otherwise become interested in veganism because they want to be healthier. And then they kind of educate themselves and so kind of and then and then come to like animals and then come to animal rights and then come to the environment so I guess it's about finding ways to connect health with animals and to not let to not dismiss health veganism or plant-based you know health-based plant-based diets and actually see that as a like we might see it as those of us who are, are vegan for the animals might see it as the enemy because it does kind of Get rid of some of the politics and ethics, but actually, how can we build connections and say, you know you want to be healthy for yourself, but you know what about the health of animals? What about the health of the planet? And how does that connect and and your mental health as well? Like one of the things people talked to me about was not just how they felt healthier in their body, but they felt mentally healthier when they realised not eating animals was, you know, like it was it was a bad thing to eat animals. Yeah. And so their, their mental health improved. So it's about fostering these connections and not um, divisions, I suppose, within the vegan, the broad vegan and plant-based community, if that makes sense.
0: Mm, it does. You're a man, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> What's the secret to getting more people like you, men, to be vegan? I mean, I...
2: Yeah, I mean, a uh, bit of research I did a while ago was I interviewed forty men about their journeys into veganism and sort of drew out sort of the, the 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 challenges and obstructions and the pathways and the and the techniques that they used. And a lot of it was about, in the end, like it's about your social, your your belonging with others and your social relations and what and your self image. And the the I think the short it's not a, not an easy answer, but the short answer is about sort of working out how. To make men feel really comfortable and safe in uh the that their self-image isn't going to crumble, that they're not gonna lose their social re- relationships, they're not gonna be seen differently, and make it and make that journey for them um easy. So one of the ways was like finding role models, one of the ways was like, you know, um finding steps. I mean, Richard Twine writes quite well about this, um, about sort of like, you know, men in the kitchen, you know, like, you know, men being sort of fathers, you know, or brothers or husbands doing things, you know, for their families, for their loved ones in ways that are so sort of supportive. And actually I know I interview quite a lot of men who are in a way vegan vegan. Um they were very comfortable cooking vegan meals and cooking plant-based meals for family members, um, because they were being of service. So in a way it's like it's like finding those values and identities that are in really important to them and recognize that they're not going to be challenged. They're not going to be hurt. They're not going to be, you know, damaged by this shift to something that's actually a bit more compassionate and more healthy and, and better for them generally. So I completely agree with Catherine Like the health route, however we get people to consume less animals, let's do it. You know, the health route is really, really important for that. And then, and, but then underneath there's, there's this, this whole thing about veganism itself and the, and the, you know, I know. I'm sure. You know, many, many people have had these conversations about sort of does the word veganism do us more harm than good? You know, labelling things as vegan does it do more harm than good? And I know a lot of people think that is the case because what you're essentially doing with vegan, like veganism, or you're 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 offering people, or you're it's you know you're giving people a big identity to step into. And actually, if we're all wrapped up as different, these are different identifications. That's a really difficult thing to do as well. You know, really difficult thing to do. Uh, because it's really challenging you know something's going to shift in them so it's about so, you know uh, very often it's like uh, undoing veganism as an identity in some ways you know and, and getting people into the practices and when you enact things at that practice level the be, the, the behavioral change then the cognitive flow as Catherine said get them on the health route and then actually they start loving animals you know they start recognizing the connections with animals anyway so
0: it's interesting as well the idea of a being of service because I was also thinking about that as being a provider you know so if you can if you like you say you start taking and if a man starts taking charge of you know don't panic everyone we're going vegan but I've got this I'm going to feed you all you know it's kind of like it's a, a role that sits comfortably without necessarily having to be particularly masculine um, yeah
2: but it doesn't but it it, it 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 it's all that gray area isn't it because it's quite' mm. you know, it's, it's still like a provider role it's still like I'm in charge yeah. like I'm in you know but you know um not all not all identifications are bad do you know mm. they're you know they just can be in certain situations if they have become so rigid and ossified that we can't step out of them so actually all of us being in service to each other is a good thing do you know yeah. what I mean you know yeah. that and it's thing.
0: interesting as well like so many things at the minute everything seems to be you know we see uh, you know the, the advent of the internet and social media and the way we live our lives we see you know there seem to be all these little tiny camps that we have to be wholeheartedly in and and the, the edges of them aren't seeming to allow to touch you know like I'm a vegan over here but you know over here I'm a you know a, a, I don't know a bus driver <laughs> you know and I can't be a vegan and a bus driver I have to be vegan as well as being about it seems that we're not allowing our identities to to sit comfortably with each other sometimes Um, what what would you say um Catherine was a a good you know with in your experience a good way to um make men feel more comfortable with veganism
1: Mm, it's I mean it's it's a a difficult question because I guess there's so many ways into veganism that it's going to be different for everyone as to what's comfortable and what's not comfortable. And I think um, you're also navigating like stereotypes and uh, stereotypes of veganism and stereotypes of masculinity and a society that I think lots, lots of people maybe feel is changing too fast. I mean, they're, they're wrong, but you know, feels changed. You know, it's hard to keep up with all these identities and why does it matter? Um, and I think one thing, I mean, I think the main thing, and I think this in any kind of vegan activism is it is about talking as humans and trying to leave, well, yeah, as humans, and trying to leave those stereotypes at, at the door. And we see this also in kind of feminist activism uh, for, for asking men to be, you know, uh, feminist activists, is it just takes one man to say, you know, that's misogynistic, stop it. And that changes the whole conversation. And in the same way, it just takes one man to say, oh yeah, I'm a vegan. Um, and then to call out, because often often the result might be homophobic comments and to actually call out why that's wrong and to not think, I suppose, of men or women or non-binary people or any people as a stereotype, but to see them as people that we need to, or that we want to connect with. I think Alex put it really nicely, to be in service to each other. Mm. And of course, people, I mean, see the things that are said about veganis- veganism and vegans in the media. Um, the things that people think about vegan of course we're fighting a kind of battle against those ideas and so in some ways it's not surprising that people I mean it's obviously not okay but it's maybe not surprising that men don't want to be associated with veganism and this still is like we have seen a surge of veganism we've seen a growth of veganism it's becoming more normal but it's still not that normalized I suppose And it's not it's more normalized in some places than others. So it's really about conversations, I suppose, and coming to those in good faith, which is seems to be very hard um, uh, for for many people to come to conversation in good faith and talking about and being open to it and not being, I guess, that stereotype of the angry vegan, even if vegans are angry with good reason a lot of the time, you know. I guess if if you see and understand animal suffering and and pain, then you are angry. But we have to try and negotiate, I suppose that that, that those feelings as a society, and recognise everyone else has feelings too, and talk Catherine, them through.
2: In your in your paper, there's that really interesting point where one of your interview subjects talks about. Oh, actually, I was quite relieved to identify as a vegan because it because I never liked all that hyper masculine stuff anyway, like stag dudes and stuff, isn't it? And actually, <laughs> like, like masculinity doesn't work for a lot of men, does it at all? Yeah, it yeah. doesn't work. For, no, it doesn't
1: work for most men. Mm-hmm. I think having to play. I mean, you're, you'll be able to speak to this better than me, but having, you know, having to live up to this idea of masculine it's why we have such high rates of male suicide you know like the fact it makes me always makes me so sad we have so many campaigns saying men should feel comfortable to talk and it's like well how we bred this society where men aren't comfortable to talk and men feel like the enemy and they can't and they have to play into these you know drinking um, misogynistic even if they don't want to because the outcomes of that can be you know violent like physically violent and emotionally violent and veganism can be a way to opt out of that I suppose but that has to come with like for the person I was talking to that it has to come with a sort of strength that already you already have to be quite strong to opt out of those spaces it's not easy to do
0: I love the idea that veganism might become a safe space for men. You know, maybe that's how we need to brand it. Step into veganism, feel the love. You know, speak freely. Um, you know, be 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 nurtured. Cuddle up to several animals. You know, just just enjoy the safe space that is veganism. Maybe that's the that's you know how we need to brand it.
2: Getting back to the question of food, you know, like like the association with meat. As a masculine meal, you know, I think about it. You know, like when I'm, um, you know, my dad was an engineer. My granddad worked in, was labouring. You know, the the association with coming home and having something hot and filling and sufficient, you know, that was generally provided as meat and something else. Um, it's very comforting. It's very warming. It's very sort of rewarding. And it's that that uh, you know, when you talk to particularly older men from older generations that attachment is still really, really strong. Uh, and it's less so in, in, I think, younger generations. So thinking about veganism as a safe space, I think that actually is a really lovely idea. I think it should be, you know, like, you should we should experiment with that and, like, really play around with that. But there's also it's there's such strong connections, such strong, you know, relationships to meat on the plate as something that's rewarding and comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know like coming back to this question about sort of you know like masculinity doesn't work for a lot of men you know it's why I, I did a you know podcast about like sort of how could we relinquish masculinity and I stepped and I and I started that conversation as part of a bigger climate change project but I started that conversation really thinking that we needed to do away with masculinity and every man I spoke to provided me with a different view of where men coming you know men come you know like men going to football matches was the place where they could actually really bond with each other and show their emotions and cry and do all of these things that they're not allowed to do in other spaces. And I was like, yeah, we still do need to do away with masculinity, but there's all of these other things that actually men have right now that are their safe spaces. And actually I think eating meat is a safe space for men. It, it rewards something in them. So mm. it's a, it's it, it comes back to that complexity of how you unpick all of that.
0: Yeah. You can't pull that away without giving mm. some other structure to, to for men to be be comfortable in it's interesting you're just going to you know back to that thing of what you said about your dad being an engineer and meat on the plate was a very important thing and you know I remember when I was vegetarian you know and people would be like even then you know even vegetarian people are like what do you eat and and you realize you quickly realize that for a lot of people a meal is not a meal without meat in it and but the interesting thing is and I think that's becoming less and less but certainly when you know Thirty years ago, when I was a a younger vegetarian, what's interesting is that's actually really quite a new concept. Your average person would have maybe cooked a piece of meat on a Sunday and turned that into soup and made it. You know, people. You know, the the average person who wasn't really wealthy, meat wasn't a a a kind of every meal arrangement. And I think it's only really in the kind of you know post-war kind of. Boom, baby boomers, and everything that that meat has become this—you know—had this spike in sort of not just popularity, but seen as this kind of necessity. Otherwise, you're not getting your nutritional needs and everything. And it just it just wouldn't have been like that 150 years ago and many centuries before. You know, it's it's a funny sort of almost modern construct.
1: And it's interesting with the rise of like fake meats, but not but like specifically the potential rise of cell based meats that will be literally meat but without the animal right or with a donor a donor animal but no animal will have died it would I guess maybe that's one space of potential for this in like if we can actually replicate that experience and that bonding I guess like you know a barbecue or a football match having a hot dog if we can replicate that then should should we and and what other um, I kind of there's a bigger question around that kind of food production and capitalism, for example, but the rise of like we don't have to eat now. Like when I was I used to eat bean feast or, you know, like these kind of textured te- 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 vegetable protein. But now you can go mm. to local supermarket and get something that looks like, I don't know, presumably tastes something like a, a piece of meat. And it's this kind of technology is advancing all the time. So as that advances, is there the potential there for us to replace mas- that kind of masculine meat um, relationship? But at the same time, that doesn't undo any of these problematic relationships that we've talked about today. That we want to undo. Mm. We want society to, yeah. be you know, better. So what? Yeah, how how do we have complex conversations and? I don't know. I don't know. It's just kind of something that I think about a lot. That sort <laughs> nice of meat with tech meat—is it going to make things better or is it just going to produce the same? kind of- it. Yeah.
2: Well, the um, the you know, there's a there's a great um decolonial uh, education uh, ac- uh, academic called um, Vanessa uh, Machado who's written a book called Hospice in Modernity, and actually it's um it's quite it's quite provocative in the sense of like. You know, we are we are all human beings sculpted and shaped by modernity, and some of us have been the winners on the end of that, and many people have been the lo- You know, have been devastated by the by mo- modernity in terms of like the the you know the the pillaging of um, you know global south resources to pay for and benefit you know rich white people in the global north, you know majority nor- minority north, um, but we're all in some way we're all being sculpted by modernity, and fake meat cultured meats you know they're all they're they're all more promises of modernity to that will benefit a very small amount of um uh, you know minority you know north global north um human beings probably at the cost of many others it's really great for animals if there are no animals being harmed in that way but actually it's another i think another The really interesting thing about this is that only 30% of food comes globally, only 30% of food comes from the industrial food system. 70% of it still comes from sort of, you know, small shareholders. And and it's outside of like a financial system. It's eaten by the people who grow it or swapped or bartered or shared or put away, you know, but most of the effort of transforming the food system goes into that industrial part. That's for us, you know, white, white, you know, northerners. Uh, And so that bigger question of actually transforming the food system. I mean, I, I would absolutely support, I would never eat it, but I'd absolutely support cultured meat replacing, you know, the, the hell of animal agriculture. But it isn't, it isn't isn't gonna, but it's another project of modernity that is at the expense of many for a for, for relatively small amount of human beings. And what I think would be the better question then is like how then, what's a food system like that benefits all beings? you know, that doesn't exploit all beings. And actually start from that point of view, would cultured me be part of that, you know, in this promise of, bearing in mind, modernity is sort of coming to an end because we're the climate crisis and the collapse that's around us. These food, these global industrial food systems aren't going to be around for much longer anyway. So, well, I think we need to be asking those questions. And and if you did start from that point of view, like it, it would not be a gendered, you know, food, you would want to do away with the gendering of food on that blank slate without mm-hmm. a doubt.
0: I like that I feel that's another podcast episode (laughs) what's the food structure that supports all beings I love it I love it thank you I think that's a great place to end Um, as often is the case with this podcast we've probably raised more questions than we've answered Um, but it's been a fascinating chat with both of you thank you so much for bringing your expertise to the table for this been really important conversation Um, that's something many things we need to address going forward Um, if you're looking for more resources recipes and advice on your vegan journey or you're interested in hearing directly from men about their journey with veganism head to our vegan and thriving pages on our website vegansociety.com and watch our short film are you man enough and before you both go um alex where can we find out more about your work
2: i just do do a bit of a google (laughs) um i'm 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 on twitter as uh, alex lockwood and actually all of the links are generally there Uh, and i'm most of the stuff i'm doing at the moment is is also. So with Animal Rising.
0: Animal Rising, Alex Lockwood, you'll find them, Google them. And Catherine, where can we find out about more about your work and your, your book, which is out next year? What is veganism for? Where where can people um, pre-order that?
1: Yeah, so you can find, um, well, you can Google me or you can find my website, which is CatherineCMOliver.com. I'm also on Twitter or X or whatever it is now. And yeah, I've written a, a book, a public-facing book. So Academic Ideas in an accessible format. It will be out with Bristol University Press called What's Veganism For? And you can order it from their website now, I believe. Pre-order it for delivery in June
0: thank you both so much let us know your thoughts about today's episode in all the usual places you can find us on x at vegan society on instagram at the original vegan society or on facebook and don't forget to join us in december for our next episode where we'll be talking all things festive thank you both so much it's been a real pleasure